This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. It's very teasy and very, very flirty. Hello and welcome to Buff the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watched season six, episode 22 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Grave. As well as Gilmore Girls, Partings. This is it. It's the season finale of season six. <sighs> so much to talk about. So much. That's why we've gathered everyone here today. Thank you for coming to our home, everyone. Uh, Pretty epic episodes, both of them, really. Not a lot of overlap, I guess. But I found a couple things. I don't know about you. A lot of heartbreak. A lot of rekindling old relationships. Sure. It's early, guys, by our standards. It's like 10.30 a.m. Do you guys understand how early that is for us now? Last night I had a dream that I was yelling in my dream, but apparently I was just yelling in bed while I was asleep. (laughs) You weren't yelling so much as whining. Like like a sound. I wasn't just being like, eh, bitch, how comfortable. <laughs> no, he was just like making sad little whimpers. I was like, what's going on with you in your head, buddy? But they were throwing forks at us. So. Yeah, in my dream, someone was outside the window throwing forks at us, and I was yelling at them to go away. But I guess what I was actually doing was going, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, super No wonder they shit. didn't go away. <laughs> There's a fun fact that we didn't really talk about. In our episode recap of, I don't remember what it's called. There's been so many episodes at this point. The one where Logan's in the hospital. So Rory sends Colin and Finn to Yale to get clothes for Logan. And this is never addressed. I, I did notice it when I was like rewatching to do the podcast, but I didn't bring it up and I never pointed it out to Brian. I don't think you caught it, but. I did not. It seems as if they've also brought many other items from his apartment in addition. Totally unnecessary items <laughs> that Colin and Finn would bring to be funny. Logan's like suit of armor is there holding like a get well soon balloon. Which is sort of funny because like that is clothes. <laughs> yeah. They've also brought like three different lamps. It's a yeah. lot of lamps. Probably other specifics too. Just I think there's like a painting or something, but they've brought like a ton of decor from his apartment, which is super funny. Personally, I was just so invested in Rory and Logan rekindling and fixing their relationship in these moments that I didn't notice the hilarious little joke that Colin and Finn like decorated his room with all this stuff. I think I'd seen people post about it before, but I, I did clock the suit of armor on a, when I was rewatching a scene. It's a really fun little background joke that you probably won't catch the first time you watch it. I mean, some people do maybe, but they don't address it at all. There's not even like a minute where Rory like kind of rolls her eyes or like looks curiously at the stuff in the background. It's just there. Yeah, it's stuff like that where I wonder if they like cut a joke where it was addressed or something. It seems like a lot of effort for no jokes on the page. Yeah. Jokes on the page is a writing reference to (laughs) jokes on a page. (laughs) For more... Writing lessons. Stay tuned. <laughs> the lessons include us talking about some basic shit. <laughs> we really are going to dive deep into the Hollywood's writing secrets. We live in New York, but that's about we as close as we get <laughs> to Hollywood's writing secrets. We're Hollywood writing adjacent. Yeah, that's true. We know people that write for shows. Well, we had two great finales. I mean, I think finales are always strong episodes. Some are stronger than others, but like both of these were strong. I don't think they were either show's strongest, though. 
strongest finale? Yeah. Oh, for sure not. Oh, no, no, no. No, it's hard to beat that previous Gilmore, like season four. Yeah, we really liked that one. Some people hate that episode because of what happens, but oof. I get that, but it's great TV. Yeah. And like Buffy season five is hard to top. Buffy season two is hard to top. I was say, I think two was good too, wasn't it? Yeah. Some people love three. I think we had issues with three. Yeah, I mean, I still think three was like a good, fun episode. It just Yeah, epic. I agree that's not their like top episode, but these are still good and I'm excited to talk about them. Well, first, we have a couple five-star reviews. Ooh. Thank you so much to, I don't know, you pronounce this one. Uh, Gustavf? It's G-H-T-S-H-K-V-F-F. Yeah, it's a lot of letters, no vowels. If that's your real name, uh, cool. I just, I don't know how to say it. And thank you so much to CZ Wants Coffee. We also want coffee. Yeah, we're having coffee right now. CZ points out that we do a good job of connecting the two shows on very weird levels. I'm so curious, Brian. This is the last Amy Sherman Palladino episode. That's going to be interesting. Will the connections continue? I don't know. Did she leave a little secret note in her desk with a copy of Buffy Season 7 DVD? Like, you must continue what we started. Continue the legacy. If we find them still, then either that happened or we're just looking for things in places where they don't exist. That can't be it. It's not that we're finding patterns because we're looking for them. Sometimes they're so clear. Why did Amy leave? Oh, contract negotiations. I think she wanted like more writers and they wouldn't give them to her. They just like couldn't come to an agreement. And they were like trying to figure it out down to the wire, I think. But like ultimately it didn't work out. Hmm. Well, I'm curious about how season seven goes then of Gilmore. Because I've heard some uh, mixed feelings about it. I think it's like some of the writers that were there. It's not like they brought in all new people that hadn't heard of the show. But Amy's the only one that really intuitively knows when to layer on the lalas. Yeah, that's her main job. Yeah, she doesn't even write the script. She's just like, mmm, lalas here. And that's really the glue that keeps it all together. Speaking of the lalas, the person who sings them makes an appearance in this episode. Yes, it's a big episode. But we're starting with Buffy. <laughs> yeah. Stacy, we started this week with Buffy. Can you please tell us all about Grave? So Grave is about stopping Willow from destroying the world. Yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. And Buffy figures out some stuff with Dawn. Wait, stuff with Dawn? Isn't Buffy, like, trying to save the world from Willow? That's the whole point. She's like the Slayer. Buffy's busy, baby. Buffy's busy, baby. All right, dog. We're trying out new nicknames. You guys like them? <laughs> I don't know the babies know. Okay, so it starts with Giles doing the previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's back. Last week they tried to do it with Xander. This week it's Giles. He says the full sentence. They had him just saying previously for a while, but this week he's like, no, I want to do this right. I want to say previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The last episode, of course, ended with Willow saying that no one had the power to stop her. Giles walks into the magic shop like a badass, stops her with a little fireball. A lot of questions. How is he so powerful? How do you know to come here? How do you get here so fast? Some of those questions will kind of be answered. <laughs> Buffy and Anya wake up from their Willow-induced naps. Super happy to see Giles. Willow's like, uh-oh, daddy's home. She's very sassy to Giles. Yeah. It's fun. She does it well. It's, she's got good lines. She starts trying to get up, but he waves a little finger at her. Tells her to stay down, and it works. He's got power now. Yeah, kind of like when she told the cop to go nappy nap. Yes. It's very like Jedi mind tricky. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I like watching Magic Giles. 
but Willow can tell that he is using borrowed power. He tries to tell her she's got to stop this or she's going to die, and he's there to help. But he can't keep her down forever, and she wants to fight him. But first she reminds him of the little kitchen fight they had back when he was under the delusion that he was still relevant here, as she says, or he Ooh. called her a rank, arrogant amateur. She says, well, buckle up, Rupert, because I've turned pro. In like a possessed demon voice? That doesn't come back. It's just like the one moment she does that. It's so interesting, right? Because it felt like that was a big outburst from Giles at the time. Yeah. In that episode. Almost out of character. So it's nice that they brought that back. Like she was been sitting on that for a while. <laughs> like she really didn't like that at the time. Well, I figured it was like a prophecy just because why else would he say all that? Like he really yeah. foreshadowed that there's some dark magic out there you don't want to get involved with. Right. I really like Dark Willow so much. I just love her just like saying this like cutting mean shit to people. Mm-hmm. It's just like just dripping with like anger and like condescension. I love it. I love it so much. And part of it's like, do you want to say this stuff all the time? Right. Do you feel this way? It's okay, Willow. Tell us. Let it out. Yeah, I just want more of this. Well, not right now because Giles puts her on a little magic timeout by wrapping her in like a flubber donut that he says will put her in stasis for the time being. I like the idea of him just saying, like, flubber donut. <laughs> boing, 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 boing. It goes around her. Yeah. Robin Williams is there. <laughs> <laughs> but Giles, like Brian, is very distracted by Buffy's hair. That's funny. And he notices that she's got a haircut. It's cute. This scene is really cute. Yeah. Well, first of all, both Giley. Oops. Well, Giley. <laughs> Giles and Riley have to fuse to be able to stop Willow. <laughs> Giles and Riley are both very observant about hair. Both of them noticed she got it cut while it was in a ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> very observant men, hair-wise. So Buffy gives Giles a big hug, and then Anya's jelly. So she comes over and tries to get Giles to notice that she dyed her hair blonde again. It's so funny. It's like when a, if you're feeding a dog a treat, and then another dog <laughs> is like, um, okay, but like maybe I get a treat too. Yeah. He's like, cool, cool. You can be part of the hug, too. But I do like Buffy more. Giles tells Time Out Willow that he's very sorry about Tara. And she tells him that this won't hold her forever. So she is, like, kind of awake. She just can't really do much. Buffy and Giles go to chat in the back, where Giles shares that an extremely powerful coven in England sensed the rise of a dangerous magical force in Sunnydale. And then a seer in the coven told him about Tara. And the coven gave him all their powers to come stop Willow. Okay. I guess that all checks out. <laughs> all checks out. It answers some of the questions. Not how he got here so fast, but we'll get there. They do eventually answer that. He asks Buffy, what's happening here? Why are things so bad? Well, Giles, maybe you shouldn't have abandoned your daughter when she was at her lowest point. Things would be better. Yeah. You're struggling with mental illness and just like wanting to find purpose and reason to live. And you have to work at this fast food place to survive. Well, you know, uh, bye. <laughs> So Buffy recaps, Xander left Ani at the altar, Ani is a demon again, Dawn's a dirty little thief, I've been working fast food to make ends meet, and uh, I've been sleeping with Spike. Giles kind of stares at her, silently, ragefully, and then he just laughs and laughs. Dude cannot get his shit together. Like, they cut to a different scene and come back, and he's still laughing. Well, to be fair, he's high on magic, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think that'd be a funny explanation for this. <laughs> when Willow takes his magic later, it seems like a lot. So, yeah, he's just really barely keeping his shit together the rest of the <laughs> he's time. He's like, I get what Willow's talking about, man. 
I don't know how I feel about this. I think I would have liked him laughing at the idea of her sleeping with Spike until he realized she was serious. But he's like laughing at all of it. It's very funny to watch the actor do it for so long, but I don't really get it. I, you know, this scene is iconic. People love this scene. And I kind of want to break it down in a couple ways. Like, in one sense, it's kind of nice. And I think the way we're supposed to take it is she he's laughing mostly about the Spike thing. Yeah. And it's nice because he's not judging Buffy, which was what you would expect, right? Like, you did this vile thing with Spike, this villain. And he's not. He's just laughing like, oh, this is so silly. Which I think she would agree with. It's like Who hasn't been seduced by a vampire? Giles? <laughs> Three of them. Yeah. If anything, you're the one that got Riley hooked on this, Giles, <laughs> when you went down into Dracula's basement. And another way to look at this is, like, all these horrible things that happen, like, they've been through so, like, just every week, they're almost all dying from some tentacle monster leech thing or whatever, you know? So, like, when he's hearing about horrible things, it, like, maybe doesn't register as being like, oh, my God, hell, you almost died. It's like, yeah, you guys almost die regularly. So maybe it is a little funny when you're not around for a while and you come back. Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering. Like, is it just so much has gone wrong that, like, all he can do is laugh, too? Yeah, it's tough to say. What do you guys think about it? We'll ask again at the end. Again, it was fun to watch. I'm just like, what? He has no comments on the fact that... Uh, Buffy's also laughing, so she's... Only it. after he does for, like, a while, and she yeah. uh, it almost comes out of her being uncomfortable. Well, the scene they cut away to is Willow up front, projecting her thoughts into Anya's head, trying to get her to free her. Anya tells her that mind control doesn't work on vengeance demons. And Willow's like, shut up. And then Anya's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it does seem to work. When they cut back to Buffy and Giles, they're still laughing, because Buffy's just explained the plot of normal again. I think Giles is just laughing at some of the writing decisions for season six. <laughs> this is just like a real take of Anthony reading the scripts. And then you're going to throw away all of Buffy's lore for one throwaway episode? It did feel that way a little bit. Well, earlier in the season, they had set up like Willow telling Tara, filling her in and what she missed. Yeah. And her kind of being like, wow, that's crazy. And so now we're having it again with Giles. And I feel like what's interesting is that she references that one episode, Normal Again, where she, like, all reality's fake. And I feel, I want to say that this episode is trying to tell us that that's not real, guys. That was, like, a one-off episode because we're all laughing about it now. Yeah. I'm hoping so. Because the other one they made fun of was Double Meat Palace. Yeah. So that was fake, too, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was very real, dog. Giles asked for Buffy's forgiveness and said he should have never abandoned her. Buffy's like, no, you were right about everything. I needed to grow up. And having to become an adult sort of snapped me out of the funk I was in after being ripped from him. And she asked Giles why she got brought back from the dead. Like, obviously because Willow did a spell, but I think she means for what greater cosmic purpose, and he doesn't really have an answer for that. He does tell her that the coven is working on a way to extract Willow's powers without killing her, but even if she survives, she may not be the same person she was before since she's killed a human. You pointed out that Willow actually has killed two humans, but no yep. one's really counting Rack for some reason. Yeah, she killed Rack, and, I mean, we're not led to believe he's a demon. We're, it suggests that he's some sort of warlock. It's possible he's a demon, but we're not told he's a demon. Because I would argue him and Warren were both, like, evil. Yeah, for sure Rack was evil. But, like, it, you're not allowed to go just kill a drug dealer. Right, it's kind of the same argument to not kill Warren. Yeah, I mean, we know Warren has killed people and is, like, a sociopath, at least, if not a psychopath. But, like, Rack is also evil, but, like, does he deserve to die? I don't know. Maybe he does. But Willow has successfully convinced Anya to set her free, 
and comes to the back ready to fight. Buffy runs at her, but Willow lightning bolts her to the ground. Giles tries to flub her donut again. But Willow's adapted like a Borg, I guess. <laughs> what, are you Andrew now? <laughs> Explaining everything with like sci-fi TV show references? I, I got references. Okay. She flings all the knives from the Giles knife wall at him. Just like Darth Vader flung all that stuff at Luke in The Empire Your Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, remember when Luke had to dodge all that stuff for Luke from the diner? Anyway, keep going. But Giles summons the fighting dummy in front of him quickly to take all the knife damage. And then he hadoukens her through the wall to the front of the shop. See, that's not a Star Trek reference. No, it's also not what he does. <laughs> yes, he does. He like throws a little fireball at her. Yeah, it's the hammer of Gavanon, all right? Do you know that? I do, but they never say it in the show. But How comes... do you know that? <laughs> because in the comics, it happens again at some point. I've read the Buffy wiki for this episode. I know. I see. Well, does Joss write it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, he didn't even write this episode, though. This is the only finale he didn't write and direct. Interesting. Meanwhile, Xander is still walking around with Dawn and the remaining members of the trio but admits he has no idea where they're going or what they're going to do and just has kind of a shitty attitude about the whole thing in general. Don's like, well, if Spike were here, he'd go back and help fight. Xander's like, yeah, if he wasn't trying to assault your sister. This is news to Don. She initially doesn't believe him. Xander's like, is this blind spot like a genetic trait with Summer's women? Yeah. Meanwhile, Spike is finishing up whatever number of trial he's on now. He's just decapitated some kind of demon and isn't looking too great. Are these what clinical trials are? I've heard so much about clinical trials. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Take the drug. We'll send a demon after you. See how you do. See how you do. And then now the Beatles. (laughs) Holy shit. I didn't know Pfizer was doing all this. (laughs) I'm just going to spoil this right now. The episode ends with Spike getting a soul. Oops. What the hell? But the people didn't know. (laughs) Which I sort of assumed since they were laying it on so thick with the language being vague yet leaning towards it seeming like he was trying to get his chip removed so he could hurt Buffy. Right. But the dialogue in this scene specifically is not that great once you know for sure how this ends. Mm -hmm. He says he's trying to get what he needs to take care of the Slayer. That's fine. And give her what's coming to her. Sure. You could read that like he's going to be a good boyfriend and give her all the love he deserves. But that's like not a normal way to say that in any universe. Yeah. I'm going to give her what's coming to her in a good way. (laughs) I will say some of the dialogue, and we've talked about this off pot, is that he, I think the demon in him is like angry and resentful of Buffy in that like she's making him do this vile thing as far as he's concerned. Yes. Of giving himself a conscience. Like that's like the most like like, F you for making you do that to me. But like he is doing it. Yeah. And maybe he won't regret it once he's got his soul. But like in the moment, he's like, ugh, women. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> women making you get souls. Oh, man. Is she even going to like it? Is this just like a grand gesture she's not going to be into? We'll see. Yeah. Season one just opens with her being like, really? Grand gestures? I don't think so. And then he gets rid of his soul immediately. Episode one. <laughs> Do you mean season seven? <laughs> what did I say? Season one. Dude, it is weird. The next I season I forgot. Is- they set up in season one, she hates Grand Gesture. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So some of his dialogue does make sense in that he's like conflicted and angry and in love at the same time. So like, I'm going to give that bitch what she deserves. He resents her, but also mm-hmm. loves her. So it's both. But he's going to have to do some more trials before he gets anything. Yeah. The next one being a bunch of big black beetles crawling all over his body. 
Which is, is this a trial? What is this trial? Like, you just got to endure this? Or like, how do you lose this part? At this point, it's like, well, you're just fine, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you got to imagine they're not going to kill you. So you just let it happen. It, maybe they're like biting him. I don't know. It seemed unpleasant. Like, okay, could a human theoretically survive this? Or like, would the Beatles just kill him? I don't know. But he didn't seem to like it. Sound like he was getting a bunch of force thrown at him. <laughs> we cut back to the magic shop, which is now just totally destroyed. So I guess we just skip the whole fight between Willow and Giles, which is kind of a bummer. It's implied that some more fighting has happened because he yes. just like throws her through the wall, which makes a hole. But now the, the whole place is holes and Willow's standing. So like something's happened off screen. I mean, I guess we had a fight between Willow and Buffy in the last episode in the magic shop. But that was physical. It would have been nice to see, like, an all-out magic brawl between Willow and Giles. Yeah. I mean, it probably would have been really expensive. A lot of wire work and stuff. Yeah, I get it. Just a lot of this episode is, like, Giles explaining. Oh, my God, dude. We're going to talk about that for sure. And us not, like, seeing it. Mm-hmm. I agree. It would have been nice to see this fight. But Giles is seeming kind of tired now. Willow says, is that all you've got, Jeeves? It's <laughs> funny. Because I could stand to go another 10 rounds, whereas you can barely stand. Giles tries to touch on her heartstrings by bringing up Tara, which she doesn't love, and shoots some magic at him. Buffy's awake now and quickly pushes him out of the way, but the magic beam knocks down the whole balcony, knocks a bunch of books down onto them, so Giles is even more hurt. Willow reveals she could actually kill Jonathan and Andrew whenever she wants, and whoever's with them, by sending this little fireball to, like, put a big crater in the ground wherever they are. Unless, that is, someone can get there in time to save them. This probably would kill them 100%, but I think she's maybe just trying to get rid of Buffy. Yeah, I mean, the reason she's doing this is to make Buffy leave. Because she sends this fireball and says, like, this will kill Jonathan and... and uh, I can't think of his name. Andrew? Yeah. Neither could Willow. <laughs> she said the other one. That's kind of a running bit all season. I think Buffy yeah. eventually learns his name, but no one else does. Yeah, because Willow's essentially like, I'm going to send this fireball after Jonathan and Andrew, and it's going to kill anyone that's nearby, a.k.a. Don, unless you go and stop it, Buffy. So Buffy, like, has to, because she's got to protect her daughter. So, well, I mean, her sister. Spoilers, yeah. Don is Buffy's daughter. Whoa. <laughs> Unspoilers, that's not true. So Buffy has to leave. Yes. But it, it begs the question, though, could Willow have done that at any point? And she's just, like, she wants to be there personally to, like, kill them graphically and watch That's what it. was suggested. Yeah. In the last episode. Yes, you're right. But it seems like in this moment, she just wants to be alone and be nasty to Giles. <laughs> Such a weird sentence. But Buffy leaves. She chases the ball like a puppy through town. Big Riley energy. Definitely got some Riley energy here. She loves chasing shit through town, including Riley. So she's gone. Willow does this thing where she like has Giles pinned up against the ceiling with magic and then she'll like let him fall to the floor a bunch of times while she's explaining that she doesn't love him lecturing her about doing the right thing or whatever. Well, he's up there one time. He breathes down a spell at her, which she says was rude and that kind of throws her off her game. He tries to tell her she's using too much energy to maintain her powers like this, and she'll burn out eventually. She's like, no, I just need magic to be drugs again. And then she reaches into Giles and steals some of his power, and then goes on like a total drug trip. Like, the mapping is quite heavy-handed again. She asks yeah. who his supplier is. She says she's so juiced. And then she just starts like slamming some Cheetos. <laughs> she explains the feeling that it's like she's connected to everything. And can feel everyone. Which seems good at first. 
But then it becomes too much when she's processing that she's feeling everyone's pain simultaneously. Like Jesus, right? Wasn't that the whole thing? Oh, like Jesus. Yeah. I thought you meant like you were exclaiming. Like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, that's a bit much. I see what you mean. Um, d- did Jesus feel everyone's pain? I don't think that was a, an actual thing. I don't know that that part was like in the Bible, but I think that was the idea that he was like taking that was, all of our suffering. No. <laughs> he died for a sin. He wasn't taking our suffering. I mean, taking it away, I guess. Listen, dog. What's up, bro? <laughs> don't don't take away my personal relationship with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't. I don't know. I, I feel like that was sort of the idea. I don't. He wasn't like literally hearing everyone's voice crying out, but I think it was like metaphorically he was suffering for all of us. Okay. Yes, he was suffering for all of us, but it's different. Like Willow is literally feeling empathetically all the pain of all humans on Earth. Yeah. Kind of like Cordelia did in Angel. Mm. Yeah, it's harder for women to be Jesus's. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that's the saying. <laughs> it's harder for women to be Jesus's. Giles tells her that it doesn't have to be like this. She can stop this. And she's like, yep, I've got a plan. I'm going to just go destroy the world and that'll drown all these voices out. Xander and crew are trying to break into random crypts that they might be able to hide in. When they notice the giant fireball flying through the air, but Buffy gets there just in time to warn them slash push some of them out of the way. It still does create a bit of shaky ground, and Dawn and Buffy end up falling into this deep hole, along with the swords that Jonathan and Andrew stole from the magic shop, conveniently. Yeah, it's a little bit too convenient, quite honestly. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of insane that Xander let them carry those swords. Yeah. Andrew still got to hold it after he threatened him with it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you could take a sword away from someone, really, if you don't have a sword. But, yeah. I mean, Jonathan made a choice that he's not going to let Andrew hurt Xander, but yeah. Xander's knocked out for the time being, so Jonathan and Andrew decide to run away to Mexico. Anya has come to at the magic box and comes out to find a now very hurt Giles. He tells Anya he's dying, but he says that he can see and feel Willow and that she's off to destroy the world. It's morning now. Buffy's trying to crawl out of this hole she's in, but it's too deep. There's nothing to hold on to to climb out. Yeah, it's hard to climb out of a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Dawn brings up that she knows what Spike tried to do to her and is mad that Buffy didn't tell her and was also going to take her to Spike's place after all that. She's also pretty sick of Buffy being so overprotective in general because it's not working. So many of the people that she's trusted are either dead or evil now. So she's like, let's just not do that anymore. I'm just going to be part of the gang. Is that cool? And Buffy's still not on board. Xander's awake now. He yells down from the top of the hole, this was, I did not notice the first time we watched, but, it, and this is like a Hulu bad Buffy edit mistake. I'm aware that it's probably not in your magical square cut that you all love so much. Magical square <laughs> cut. Okay, so it did not air this way on TV probably is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, but you can see, there's a part where like Xander sort of leans over the hole and some of the like dirt falls down because the ground's kind of shaking. And you can see, like, someone holding the back of his pants to keep him from falling in the hole. Yeah. Like, his pants are really pulled, but you can see a hand for, like, a brief second. It's funny. Buffy sends Xander to try to find a rope or something, but he's just like, no, I'm going to leave, I guess. <laughs> I didn't really think of that the first time, because he, he's, spoilers, going to go and find Willow, but he just, like, gives up on the rope at some point. How does he know where to go to find Willow? Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe he hears what's about to happen, because just then Anya teleports into the hole to tell Buffy that Willow's trying to destroy the world and that she's headed to a satanic temple on Kingsman Bluff. 
There's so much to unpack about this temple. Let's keep going. So I guess Xander's like, oh, screw Buffy. She'll be fine. She's been in a metaphor before. I'm going to (laughs) go save Willow. Buffy points out there is no temple on Kingsman Bluff. Well, that's because Willow's going to pull it up out of the ground first, Buffy. This looks kind of dumb. It looks real dumb. It's not even a whole temple. It's just like a Christian church steeple with like a satanic symbol on top and like a pink plastic goddess. Is she green? I thought. Is she pink? It's like skin colored. Okay. She looks like a like a plastic doll. Yeah, she looks fake. I, I think she would just be the same color as like the rest of the stonework. It's weird that she's like flesh colored. So it's like a pool toy. Let's let's talk about this. Okay. So we're told that it is a satanic temple. Okay. We're gonna just stop there to start. Okay, so Satan is real in Buffy Universe? At least people believe in him and worship him. I assume Satan wasn't real. At least, like, the Bible stuff isn't real. Or it, the story we're told in the Bible is not real. Because we're going across all kinds of different demons and gods. But okay, so Satan is real, or at least some people worship Satan. However, this satanic temple is not about worshiping Satan. It's about worshiping some, like, female deity that some, like, cult worshipped. So why is she on a satanic temple? Was she just, like, Satan's buddy? Yeah, I mean... Could there be demons without Satan? Sure. But then why is Satan involved? I don't know. If they were just like, it's a demonic temple that worships the blah, 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 blah. Sure, okay. But they specifically say satanic temple. That's why I'm like, satanic? This is the first time we've talked about Satan. You'd think he would have come up. Like, we've talked about the first, which is the closest thing to Satan that we've had. Right. Yeah, demonic, I think, would have been a better choice. Like, okay, so are we going to talk about Satan? Is he real? Is he season seven's fucking villain? Like, what is is Satan? What? But then it's like, but also it's not about Satan. It's about this other female deity thing. Like, okay, so why is Satan tacked on? Speaking of tacked on, it looks bad, man. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like they were just like, we got this uh, action figure we can nail onto this thing. Doesn't look good. Sorry, guys. I didn't know this episode would get so religious. (laughs) Ani explains that this demon is Proserpexa. And her followers were going to use her pink plastic effigy to destroy the world. But they all died and the temple was buried in an earthquake 70 years ago. But now Willow's going to pick up where they left off. Anya's delivering this all via Giles. So now Anya's expositioning for Giles. But Giles told her to tell everyone that no magic or supernatural force, including Buffy, is going to be able to stop Willow. I don't know how Giles would know that. Yeah, I don't know. Like Buffy could literally chuck like a rock at her head and kill her. That would stop her. That's true. I mean, you could argue that Willow might be able to sense it and stop it at this point. But, like, you don't know. Giles, we're going to talk about this. Keep going. But Ani wants to get back to Giles since he's all alone and maybe doesn't have a lot of time left. Oh, no. Buffy's like, what? That's not good. What? Giles is dying in just about every season finale, man. I just, (laughs) like, let's be real. I'm pretty sure I know that Giles is in season seven, so I didn't think he was going to die. But I was like, maybe I could be wrong. Like, that wouldn't be crazy to kill Giles, who's like off the show. Yeah, especially since, like you said, he's like trying to leave the show, it seems. And it's the season finale. But it seems weird to have Willow kill Giles. Then it's sort of like, well, we can't forgive Willow. And I just didn't think it made sense unless he had like more of a poignant final scene with Buffy. Yeah. Like they had that cute laughing moment, but there needed to be more of like a goodbye or like. Mm -hmm. Goodbye, dad. The opposite where they were like in a big fight or something. It just. It didn't make sense to have him, like, die separate without, like, having a moment with Buffy. I was like, maybe there's time. She goes back and he dies in her arms. But it, at some point, it didn't seem like it was going that way. 
Buffy's like, all right, we got to get out of this hole ASAP. I don't care what Giles says. I'm going to stop Willow. But Willow can hear Buffy, of course, because she can hear everyone now. And Willow tells her that in the end, she's the one who's going to save the world, meaning herself, Willow, by killing everyone and stopping the pain. But she knows Buffy won't go out without a fight, so why not give her one? And then she brings to life a bunch of root monsters from in the hole, just like coming out of the walls. Did you say root or Groot? Both are applicable. I said root, but yeah, they're they're like tree people. So there's a bunch of those. They fight Buffy and Dawn in their little hole. Luckily, Buffy's got those swords, so she can chop them to bits a bit. But more and more keep coming. Buffy can't fight them all. So she hands Dawn the other sword and asks her to help. Dawn tells her she's got her back. Keep that in mind. Meanwhile, Willow gets to work on the destroying of Earth, causing all kinds of rumbles for everybody else. Anya tells Giles not to die yet, because there are things she still wants to tell him. She thanks him for coming. She said it was good of him to teleport all this way. So there we go. We know how he got here. (laughs) Guess he did teleport. This scene is funny and touching. Yeah, these two are so cute, because it's such like a love-hate relationship. Yeah. He literally tried to kill her in her first episode, but now they're like co-workers and reluctant friends. Yeah. But also, like, she's so funny because she's like, thank you for teleporting. It was nice. Although you did end up giving Willow all that power. She's going to end the world now. So, like, maybe yeah. it was a bad decision. That wasn't great. I just love her, like, being so candid always. It's funny. I do want to talk about Anya's emotions a little bit because it's a little confusing. When she was a demon, originally, she seemed to not have any human emotions. And when she became a human, it seemed like all these emotions and feelings are, like, kind of new to me. New in the last, like, thousand years. And so I'm struggling with these emotions. But she's a demon again now, and yet she still seems to be retaining her emotions from being a human. She cares about Xander. She cares about Giles. I guess that makes sense. I guess you could argue that, like, as a demon, she does have all these emotions, but, like, as a demon, she just, like, kind of, they faded over time. But then why did they come back when she became a human? So it seemed like they were linked to her humanity. I would say she maybe just wasn't, like making relationships and bonds when she was a demon for thousands of years. But now she's, like, found a family. And just because she's a demon again, she's not just going to, like, forget those feelings. I could see your point here. But in season three, it seems, like, very much abrupt that she's like, oh, I have all these emotions, these human emotions now, and, like, feelings that I don't know what to do with and can't really handle. Yeah. Like, she reluctantly is, like, going after Xander. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe on a rewatch, I'd be interested to see how, if it made sense. It's not a huge deal, but it is sort of like, so what is the deal, though? Like, mm-hmm. it seems like a little inconsistent. Yeah, her being a demon really isn't that scary. It's just kind of helpful. Yeah. But as Willow is mid-process, she's shooting magic at this temple. Xander shows up and steps between her and the pink plastic goddess statue. Giles feels this and tells Anya that it's not over. Turns out Dawn is pretty good with a sword. Buffy very proudly watches her save herself from a demon. Dawn says it's because she's watched Buffy, but perhaps she's got some kind of special abilities as well. She doesn't. We don't find out no. this season. Well, maybe. Yeah, or next. She oh. does not. Well, yeah, she's a good fighter, it seems. Yeah, okay. But standing back to back, Buffy and Dawn face off against a whole bunch of them. Xander had been knocked down, but now he gets up, stands in the way of Willow's spell again. And he gets knocked down, and he gets back up, gets knocked down, and he gets back up again. Is tub- that what you tub- think the tub- words? Chumbawamba. Are? Yeah, it's not not to the, that Tumbawombo song. Tumbawombo, yeah, I think it did it perfect. She tells him that he can't stop it. 
He's like, yeah, I get that, but it seems like the world is ending, and you're my best friend. Where else would I want to be right now? She's not having this mushy stuff at first, but he tugs at those heartstrings with a story about how she cried after breaking a crayon on the first day of kindergarten. Interestingly, Rory and Lane had a story about crayons on the first day of kindergarten Mm -hmm. a few episodes ago. And even though what she's doing now is objectively worse than breaking a crayon, he loves crayon breaky willow and scary veiny willow. She's still not into this. She uses magic to scratch his face real bad. But again, he tells her he loves her. She scratches him again. And he keeps telling her he loves her. The cycle repeats. And eventually her magic is like shorting out until she finds she can't even use it anymore. Xander approaches her for like a hug. and She just starts hitting him with her fists because that's all she's got now. She's crying. And eventually she falls into his arms and just ugly cries while her hair turns back to red. Giles pops back to life. Anya's very happy he's not dead. Pops back to life? Yeah, he just like sits up. Anya's like <laughs> crying on the steps of the magic shop, assuming he's going to die. It's weird that she's not like holding him if she thought he was dying. But he tells her that Will has been stopped. It seems it was his plan for her to try taking his magic because his powers were the true essence of magic, whereas Willow's came from a place of rage and power. But by taking Giles' magic, it tapped into the tiny bit of humanity that she had left, making her feel again, which gave Xander the opportunity to reach her and save everyone. What if Xander didn't show up? That wasn't part of his plan. Yeah. But you can tell Anya's like, my Xander? A hero? (laughs) And then her and Giles kiss. No, (laughs) It's like a long kiss. (laughs) I mean, I don't blame him. He's high on magic. It's not his fault. (laughs) It just seemed like it could go that way, but it didn't. They've kissed before. There's, okay. I know there's still more plot we have to get into, but like, I just, this scene, Giles, like this whole half of this episode is just exposition. He's just laying there (laughs) telling us what the writers are doing. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm trying to think like, I don't know. I'd be more interested in like having part of the episode dedicated to like seeing Giles talk to this coven. I know that's like a lot more money and stuff to shoot. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm more interested in knowing like what Giles has been doing for the last few months that led up to this. How does he know about this coven? How do they know about him? Is yeah. he studying magic? Is he involved with the council? Is he just like doing a music career now and the coven called him out of the blue? Like, I don't have a problem with the coven finding him because we've mentioned this before. He's a watcher. He's probably keeping tabs with like supernatural stuff over there. And I could also see the coven like they've got like prophecy seers and stuff that we like. I know Giles is connected. We can tell from some spell we did. And finding Giles is not hard for them because they have magic. But I agree having some of this being told from the coven's perspective would have just been way more active than what we got, which was just Giles laying on the ground, just telling us what's happening. Explaining it after we saw it. And it's it's honestly, honestly, and I love Buffy so much, it just seems so lazy, writing-wise. Just Giles like, couldn't even stand up. <laughs> yeah, Anthony's like, listen, I'll do the last episode, but 50% of it, I'm not getting off the ground. So he just like, uh, you know, here's what's going on with Willow and this is what she's feeling right now. And like, here's how Xander fixed it. And then him telling Anya, like, Xander's the hero, everybody. That's the twist of the episode is that Xander's the one. Like, it just seemed very much like he's just a mouthpiece for the writer's room. And it wasn't organic, personally. I didn't think it was. Uh, The Xander stuff is beautiful. Yes. So that's so great. That is all good. I'm not touching that. But the Giles stuff is not beautiful. 
I love that Giles is there. I love that he saved the day. It's just, like the way it's delivered, I think, could have been more active and clever. I don't have a better idea for how to do it. Maybe we like see what he's seeing instead of him just like literally speaking it. Right. We also have like the plan that Giles like tells us at the end was the whole plan was like a little muddled. So the idea, I think, was the coven was going to give her all this power. Like he's there to like get her to take the power from him. And when that happens, it like reignites whatever humanity's inside of her because that's what the nature of his borrowed power is. And the idea, hopefully, wasn't that Xander would show up, but that Willow would sort of like come back to her senses when she's like piercing through her rage and having empathy again, right? But it sort of backfires and that because she's so powerful with this, she feels everyone's pain and suffering. And she's just like, I got to end this for everybody. And she's going to end the world, which is not part of Giles's plan. Right. And Xander showing up to save the world is like, oh, good. I'm glad that happened because my plan totally backfired bad. I'm also like, why didn't he just bait her sooner into taking his power? Why, like, have a whole fight where he almost has to die and they destroy the magic shop? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think he wants, you can argue that he wants her to think it's her idea to take his power. And he does, like, throw some hints out there, like, you can't sustain yourself like this forever. So I think he is baiting her a little bit. Yeah, she just wasn't picking up on it. <laughs> it would have been fun for Giles to be like, you know, I really messed up and almost got the world ended because my plan did not work. Weird that Xander's the one that fixed it. The writing here is like almost really good because I think Willow, when she has all this pain and suffering, she thinks about how Buffy was happier when she was dead. And so I think that she jumps to the conclusion, I'll kill everybody. Buffy has shown me that they'll be happier that way. Yeah. She doesn't say that, which it's like, please say that because I feel like then that justifies what you're doing because otherwise it seems like a little crazy. I mean, more than just like a little crazy. But if we had that extra justification of, oh, yeah, Buffy's shown me that heaven is great. I'll send everyone there. That justifies her thing. They go to heaven. Assuming everyone goes there. Right. But like if you were going to go to hell because you're a bad person anyway, she probably is like, whatever. Yeah, that would have really. Yeah, you're right. That would have been a really good way to tie everything together even better. I am like assuming that line of connection is there, but it is never said or implied. And I would have loved it because it would have tied this all up really nicely and justified her line of thinking and like justified that whole storyline. And I would have loved that. And I'm going to just assume it's what is there in the subtext, even though it's never said. But really, since Giles is just telling us literally everything the writers are thinking, why not say this line? Yeah. Okay, I just shit all over that. But like the Xander stuff is great. Okay, go ahead. So now that Willow is no longer performing the magic... The root demons in Buffy's hole disappear. What a weird sentence. <laughs> yes. And her and Dawn realize that the world hasn't ended. Buffy just starts crying. Dawn, of course, at first assumes Buffy's bummed that the world didn't end. But then she realizes it's a happy cry. And Buffy realizes how Dawn must have felt all season, with her pretty openly wishing she were back in heaven and away from Dawn. Buffy seems to have a whole new positive attitude now. She says she wants her friends to be happy again. She wants to see Dawn grow up into a beautiful, powerful woman. And she realizes she shouldn't be protecting Dawn from the world. She should be showing it to her. That's nice. And then a song starts playing. With lyrics. It's a whole new world from Aladdin. And <laughs> a magic carpet <laughs> appears in their little cave of wonders. And they fly around Sunnydale. While Iago is screaming at him. 
The monkey they're always referencing shows up. <laughs> no. It's got no pants. A song with lyrics does start playing, but there's no carpet. But after all that, just like in the beginning of the season, Buffy claws her way out of a grave, mm. this time bringing Dawn with her. But unlike the beginning of the season, it's daytime. It's a beautiful sunny day. There's no fires. Yeah, it's beautiful. There's flowers. Anya helps Giles walk out of their completely destroyed magic shop. Xander's still holding Willow up on the cliff. Jonathan and Andrew are hitchhiking to Mexico with a semi-truck driver they're very afraid of. <laughs> and Buffy and Dawn walk home through the palm tree-lined cemetery. It looked weird. I was like, there's palm trees. But yeah, it's California. They're probably always there, too. But it's just always night when they're in the cemetery. Yeah. Everything's fixed. Everything looks beautiful. When you say everything's fixed, Tara's still dead. <laughs> she doesn't pop up. Well, no. She didn't pop up. But the episode's not quite over. Spike is all trialed out. He's just on his back, not breathing, because he never does. <laughs> he's alive. When the creepy demon voice tells him he's endured the required trials, Spike's like, uh, yeah, I'd say so. Now make me what I was so Buffy can get what she deserves. That line's a little better. Dude's like, very well. We will return your soul. Boom. He touches Spike's chest. Spike is all glowy. And that's the end of season six, baby. Cut to Giles being like, Spike is getting his soul back right now in Africa. I see it. <laughs> no. Was this a good episode? Yeah, it was a good episode. A lot of really good things in this episode. I picked it apart and I stand by everything I said, but there's so much to love about it, too. Yeah. Anya, like, worried that Giles is dying is beautiful and acted so well. And Xander being the one to, like, save the day is really nice for several reasons. For one, it's just great to be like, oh, it's a different ending than we're used to. We're used to Buffy sacrificing herself or, like, fighting the monster. It's nice to be like, yeah, she's part of this, but, like, she's not the one to, to fix it. It's somebody else because this isn't the same kind of monster we usually fight. And love is what wins, which was great. And that scene where she, she's, like, crying in Xander's arms, that was beautiful, too. It was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And the scene where she's, like, punching him is very reminiscent of a scene from Angel. Yes, where a similarly evil-ish character regrets everything. Mm -hmm. And just, like, falls into his arms. I think the episode, as I mentioned, is missing some, like, key things that, like, if the writers had done a little differently, I feel like it would have been, like, really top-notch. Yeah, I think, like, the overall story and plot is really nice. Mm -hmm. it, just, like, the way they told it felt a little cheap. Yeah. Um, the Buffy and Dawn stuff is kind of whatever. Yeah, Buffy being like, I didn't want to protect it from the world. I wanted to show it to you. Like, okay, whatever, Buffy. Sure, I don't like, buy I'm glad they've resolved that, I guess. It's kind of annoying watching them be at odds. So yeah. maybe they'll be besties now. But, like, I don't know. They're sort of just, like, fixing this problem they've created where Buffy has to care for a child. Which I, I think also sets up interesting conflict. It's not like it's a huge problem. Like, that was sort of a whole thing all season that she needed to take care of Dawn. And maybe this was really impactful for some people with different relationships than I have. But for me, yes. it just didn't really resonate for me. And maybe that's just my perspective and other people loved it. But that storyline to me, I was like, cool, glad you guys fixed stuff. <laughs> yeah. But Buffy coming out of the grave was sort of cool. That Now she's like happy to be coming out of the grave and it's yes. beautiful. That was a nice bookend to the season. Um, you've kind of indicated this, but the trials could have maybe been more interesting. Like, maybe it would have been nice to see, like, a psychological trial. Yeah, it was just, like, two fights and a beetle infestation. Yeah, maybe there were more, but if you're going to do that, let's do that. 
It's like such a huge thing that he's going for. I would have liked to see like his mental struggle with something. Yeah. Since we've sort of explored his personality quite a bit, that would have been cool to see him like have to deal with something eternally rather than just physically. Yeah. Or even just like if he finds this demon and the whole thing could be him just like trying to track down this demon because it's just like he knows about this demon that can like restore souls. How did he find out about that guy? Right. This guy seems very powerful. I'm sure we'll see him again. We don't. But yeah, overall, I think it was really good. It really tied everything together from all season six. Yeah. Overall, season six had a, a good plot, I think. Even though individually episodes were maybe sort of, what is this? As a whole, and if we fill in the gaps that the show didn't give us, like Willow using Buffy's death as justification for what she's doing, I think it really thematically kind of does hold together really well. Mm-hmm. And like I've said earlier, and you just reiterated, but each individual episode just like doesn't always hold up as a known. But like as one whole piece, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I would say it was a really good episode, just slightly flawed. It wasn't quite as good as I would have liked it to be. And it's hard to compare to season five, which was like this crazy epic. Every puzzle piece fit together perfectly episode. Mm -hmm. And this one was like, yeah, the puzzle pieces fit pretty well, but a couple of them are warped. <laughs> like, yeah, this puzzle piece was in some water. I think it's this bigger was too now. small. What? <laughs> OK, we've talked about it a lot and we are going to dissect the whole season next week. So I think this episode was pretty great. I've explained what I didn't like about it. Let's move on to our next segment. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed Season 6, Episode 22, It's a Bad, 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 Bad World, Part 1. Gideon creates a portal that puts Chris and Leo in a mirrored world where evil prevails and Phoebe and Paige travel to the parallel universe to rescue them. Meanwhile, Piper gives birth to baby Chris. Okay, what? what? Oh, All that, right. That makes sense. So Chris is from the future. He's Piper's baby from the future. I wonder if this was revealed at some point or if it was revealed in this episode. <laughs> I mean, we watched it. I mean, we know what happens. Um, okay. okay. Do we know? I'm sorry. Do we know who Gideon is? Has Gideon showed up before? I don't think we do. Right. Okay. So Gideon, you know, he's a bad warlock. Right, obviously. And he creates this portal because he doesn't like Chris and Leo. No. He thinks the women will be less powerful with the men gone because he's a total misogynist asshole. Oh, big time. So he's like, I'll get rid of the men. These women will be helpless. He's a big, like, men's rights type person. Constantly talk. He's a huge Andrew Tate fan. He's on YouTube all the time. He's a bad dude. Wow. Early YouTube. Yeah, but YouTube was around then. Okay. I don't know that it was. I don't know that it was either. I said okay very confidently, but I don't know that I'm right. E-bombs world. He, he had videos <laughs> out. We've had this problem before where someone was doing YouTube stuff and we had to fix it. He gets his stuff out. However, he's got to. But he knows of this mirror world where evil prevails, or as he calls it, perfect world. And he sends the guys there. So Phoebe and Paige are like, Piper, you want to go to this mirrored world and save the boys? And Piper's like, no, I'm, I'm pretty tired. I'm going to stay here. She's going into labor. They don't know that. They don't know that. Did we even know she was pregnant? I don't know. Who was the dad? Leo, I assume. Her husband. So Chris is part dog? I'm, uh, well, God, Leo this... was a human. He's like a Salem the Cat situation. God, our lore is getting a bit crazy now. All right. Obviously, Phoebe and Paige are strong women, and they travel to that universe to rescue them. 
It's like poltergeists where they like tie ropes around themselves and jump in. Yeah, so they don't get lost. They also know their way around a mirror. <laughs> yeah. It's also pretty funny because like the whole episode, they've got these ropes tied to them, but like they, they spend a lot of time in this mirror reality and they just constantly have ropes behind them. Like tails. Yeah. This is a wacky world where like it's, it's part of it's funny because like like traffic lights are designed to make people get into crashes and stuff because it's evil. It's evil world. So they rescue them. They got their ropes. They pull the boys back through them. There's all kinds of obstacles, you know. There's a bunch of obstacles. Like, they get arrested. It's funny because there's, like, a courtroom scene, and they still just are, they have ropes around their waists, like, going out the door. But they quickly realize that they've got to prove that they did do evil to get let out because that's how this world works. And there's, like, a funny courtroom scene where they incriminate themselves, and the court's like, you're guilty. You're free to go. Because <laughs> evil prevails in this world. Yes. But they eventually make it back to the house. They went through like a portal in the painting. Prue waved. They didn't see her. But they get back and Piper has just given birth with the help of Andy. He got in and pushed. <laughs> yeah. Just got in there and helped. He just pushed. That's very <laughs> gross. But that's what happened. It was weird. If you don't remember, Andy's a tiny man that lives in a cupboard. Yeah. Now he lives in a vagina. And <laughs> he's going to stay in there? What's weird is you can't show a vagina from the outside, but you can from the inside. And it's very graphic. <laughs> And Chris is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yep, you caught me. I am your son. Wait, okay, so adult Chris, not the baby. <laughs> yeah. Baby comes out, whoa, 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 whoa. No, adult Chris is like, I have a confession to make. I am your son from the future. That's why I care so much. That's why I've been trying to help you guys with all those things I helped you with. Please take care of me so I grow up to be this man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how time works, and that's reality. Do you? No. Well, great. That sums that up. But. Wait, wait, we're doing. Wait, there's more? Just like last season, there were 23 episodes of Charmed this season. So we're going to talk about both right now. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed season six, episode 23, it's a bad, 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 bad world part two. Gideon creates a portal that puts Chris and Leo in a mirrored world where evil prevails, and Phoebe and Paige travel to the parallel universe to rescue them. Meanwhile, Piper gives birth to baby Chris. Okay, so that's the exact same description. I love that the IMDb writer just, like, didn't write it separately. <laughs> they just copied and pasted it. Yeah, it was like, it's the same. They could have broke down what happened in each episode individually. As I was reading, I was like, wait, how, what, how is this different? <laughs> So obviously it's a two-part. But what's weird is that they, they just replay the same episode. Yeah, it, it was just one part that they played twice. I think the writers sort of forgot there was a second an additional episode. So they're like, yeah, it's the same thing. And like timey stuff happens. That's why. Because of time. Uh-huh. Anyway, great charm season. This has been <laughs> Meanwhile Uncharmed. So then we watched Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us all about the season six finale. Partings. All right, guys, this episode is about like everything working out for everybody and relationships staying strong and healthy and together. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I think that's a, that's just, I, that's all we really need to say. Weird title. Yeah. Partings. I mean, the last one was called Grave and it ended happily. So maybe this will be ending happily, surprisingly. Mm hmm. Episode picks up the next day after the previous episode. If you guys remember, Lorelai went over to Suki's house. She's been avoiding Luke all day and sort of just sits there and doesn't tell Suki what's wrong. She just like wants to sit there for a while. Well, it's the next day and she is on the couch at Suki's and we get this shot of Lorelai in front of the camera laying down and we are seeing what's going on behind her sort of out of focus. 
and the scene is pretty funny. Suki and Jackson are trying to keep Davy quiet while they get him ready to go somewhere because they don't want to wake Lorelai. But it's all very funny because they're being super noisy the whole time, being like, let's be quiet, Davy. We're playing the quiet game. Just be quiet. Okay, are you being quiet? Suki, like, bumps into a chair. Yeah. But they're also talking about, like, what's wrong with Lorelai? And they're like, Suki's like, I don't know. She was just, like, weird all night and wouldn't talk about what happened. But you're seeing Lorelai sort of, like, hear all this, and she just looks sad and depressed. Yeah. Suki suspects it's about Luke. Right. But also, like, they must know that she's awake, right? Like, they're being so loud. Yeah, totally. And they're not whispering quietly. They're, like, yell whispering. And this sets up the episode pretty good because it's like something's wrong with Lorelai. She's got a ton of unwee right now. Let's see what happens with that. Before we get into the meat and bones of this story, of this episode, let's talk about the subplot. The Troubadours? The Troubadours. The town's Troubadour, if you guys remember last week, told us that he got a gig opening for Neil Young. And so he left the town. And now all the Troubadours in the area have come to Stars Hollow to play here because the Troubadours are gone. And also maybe get seen by someone like the last Troubadour did. Maybe they'll get discovered. And there's a ton of cameos. I can't read the wiki, so maybe you could fill me in. But a lot of these Troubadours are like famous musicians, right? Yes. We've got Sonic Youth, the woman who writes the La La's and has scored the series, also sings the song that Luke and Lorelai dance to at Liz's wedding, Sam Phillips. Mary Lynn Raj Scoob, I don't know how to say her name, but she's in Always Sunny. I think she's in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She pops up in a bunch of stuff. She's a comedian. Yeah. Yola Tango. Oh. Sparks, Joe Pernice, and David Gruber Allen. So it's pretty funny that it's like, oh, it's these like random, like vagrant troubadours, but it's like, no, these are actually yeah. <laughs> like real musicians. It's like famous ones. As well as a cameo by Daniel Palladino. He's singing the Beaver song. Oh. But they're all in town hoping to get discovered, which makes sense because rumor is Stars Hollow is where Paul Inca got discovered. <laughs> Taylor hates this. Like one of the first scenes, he's like walking around the town, like realizing what's happening. He's like, what? Uh-huh. Just looking disgusted and distraught by what's happening. There's a great line where he asks Kirk who Neil Young is. <laughs> when Kirk tells him that the troubadour left, he's like, who's Neil Young? And Kirk says, oh, he's one of the monkeys. No, he's not. <laughs> no. Well, I looked it up. Okay. So he isn't a monkey, but he auditioned to be one of the monkeys. Didn't get it. But he also wrote some of the monkeys' music and did perform on a couple of the monkeys' tracks, but he never was a monkey. So it's oh. like this little thing that he did that he is not known for, has nothing to do with his fame at all, but is like, it's funnily almost correct. Interesting. It's one of those things that's really funny if you happen to know the history of that. I didn't. I looked it up. Taylor asks Luke, he comes into the diner just upset. He's like, Lucas, have you eyeballed the chicanery that's taking place outside? <laughs> Looks like, what? Eyeballed the chicanery. <laughs> Loved all that. He just goes out into the town square and just like yell announces to all the troubadours that although there's no bigger fan of music than him, he will sick the police, police dogs, and water hoses on them if they don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> and the woman that's in Always Sunny is like, can you say BTK? Which is like the second time in the last few episodes they've had this line. BTK is a serial killer. Lorelai said that about him a couple episodes ago. He kind of looks like him. I don't know if that's the joke. Yeah, I don't know. It's just weird that they made that joke twice. Or they're setting something up. Is he really going to be the BTK killer? (laughs) (laughs) 
even though he makes this announcement and, you know, any reasonable troubadour would leave, uh, it only gets worse. Later in the episode, like, buses of musicians show up and the town square, it, like, becomes like Woodstock, just filled with tons and tons of these musicians. Taylor tells one of them that's, like, rocking out the music. He's like, no jumping in the town square. (laughs) No jumping in the town square. Like, that's going to solve. No jumping in the town square. That's funny. Then Taylor, like, tries to stick his quote-unquote policeman on them. But this policeman's this, like, pathetic dude in biker shorts and a bike helmet that has handcuffs that are broken. And he's all like, well, I don't really know what to do about all these people. (laughs) Taylor just gives up on him immediately. Eventually, the regular town troubadour shows up, and he's pissed at Taylor that he let all his people, all these people take his spot. And his tour went badly. Yeah, he was like, I got some, a little bit of money and never met Neil Young. And Taylor's just like, oh, whatever, and starts to leave town square. And then he says, like, I hate music. <laughs> so he wasn't the biggest fan, I guess. And as he leaves, you see Daniel Palladino singing Beaver Ate My Thumb, which Kirk set up was like one of the original troubadour songs from a long time ago. Oh, Yeah. Also, the troubadour that had previously come to town to rival the regular town troubadour, he's the guy that also had like a little vegetable farmer's market booth Mm -hmm. to rival Dozy. He's also back. A couple other interesting things. The town square, they show the whole thing sort of like from above sort of at some point or like a not a bird's eye view, but like from a light pole, like kind of from up high. It's so small. It It doesn't look small when they're doing like festivals and stuff. But when you see the whole thing at once, it's like that's not big. Right. Also, the scene where Taylor goes into the diner is the, the first scene after the credits, and they still do the credits scroll over the top. I don't know why, but the credits are usually center justified. In this episode, they're alternating left and right side. It's not anything to do with the plot. It was just noticeable and different. Interesting. I don't know if that means something. If they're switching it up, stay tuned. <laughs> That's what the listeners are really interested in. I know. Logan is finally graduating, and Rory has everything planned out for his last day. Because remember, after he graduates next day, he's going to London to start his career and become a man. Yep. But she's got everything planned out. She's going to avoid the family during the graduation. Logan's going to go out with his family for drinks for about 30 minutes or so. And then afterwards, they're going to spend some time together alone at their apartment. She's going to go to Friday night dinner, stay just for drinks. And then afterwards, she's taking him to this like dive restaurant they like to go and like watch the owners fight. I guess. Sounds like some like little thing that they do together. Also, I have here, she says she's ducking out of Friday night dinner after drinks. But uh, I've mentioned this before. My computer doesn't recognize the word duck or ducking. Mm -hmm. So it just says she's fucking out of dinner, (laughs) taking Logan to their favorite dive restaurant. So Rory tells Lorelai all this on the phone. Lorelai finally calls Rory back after she gets home from Suki's and sort of like badly explains why she hasn't been responding to Rory's calls or texts. She's just like, oh, yeah, I sort of unexpectedly crashed at Suki's last night. We were there late and got tired and I fell asleep on the couch. But Suki doesn't live that far from your house. So it's a little weird that you would just fall asleep there. And Rory's like, are you sure everything's fine? And Lorelai's like, yeah, everything is fine. And she says that while she's literally shaking her head like, no. Yeah, like she violently shakes her whole body, no. Yeah, yeah. So she's lying. Yeah. Lorelai gets off the phone and goes inside where Miss Patty has been watching Paulinka. I guess she had time to like, it's all weird. Like she got to Suki's like totally distraught and then like called Miss Patty to watch her dog. Well, actually Babette. Yeah, she called Babette and Miss Patty were taking turns. It's all kind of confusing when this happened. Doesn't really matter. 
The scene is funny too, though. Miss Patty casually says that Paul Anka did something weird with her nightgown last night. <laughs> and then he did something weird with your nightgown. That was very funny. Miss Patty then goes on to say she's got to go because she's teaching a cardio striptease class, you know. But then Luke shows up and Lorelai makes Miss Patty cover for her and tell him that she's not home. It's very odd. Luke is like kind of insisting on like more information. Where could Lorelai be? So Miss Patty makes him uncomfortable until he leaves. And she makes him uncomfortable by like talking about how he should take up dancing because he looks so sexy dancing in tights. And then he's all like, stop imagining me in tights. And she's like, it's a free country. (laughs) So he leaves. She's such a creep. What's she's such a creep? Yeah. Lorelai tells Miss Patty that it, they just had a little fight and he's freezing him out a little bit. Miss Patty's like, cool, cool, so that the makeup is so much better. I think I, it seems weird. Like, she's saying makeup sex, right? She says makeup, but like, makeup oh, sex. Yeah. yeah, of course. But it's weird she doesn't say sex because it's not like it's a bad word. Anyway. Yeah, she's said sex to Rory. So don't be afraid to say it to Lorelai. <laughs> <laughs> she's on board with her doing this to Luke because it's going to, you know, make them stronger or have better sex or whatever. But she cautions her not to freeze Luke out too much because Luke is a much better man than the majority of her husbands. Yeah. Meanwhile, Rory's plan did not work out exactly as she had hoped. Logan spends way more time with his family than she had anticipated. He shows up right before she has to leave for Friday night dinner. And he's like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, right before I was about to duck out, like a bunch of my dad's Right before I was about to fuck out, a bunch of my dad's like work (laughs) associates showed up and we had to like smooth and talk shop for a while. And Rory's like pissed about it because, you know, this is the last day. And she suspects that Mitchum did this on purpose. And he doesn't dissuade her of that. He's like, yeah, I mean, sounds like something my dad might do. And on her way out, she catches Mitchum in the elevator. And this scene is so interesting. I want to talk about this scene. So she gets in the elevator and she starts calling him out for everything, for like trying to ruin their last night together. But right before she explodes on him, he's actually really nice to her. He like turns over, he's like, oh, hey, Rory, were you at the graduation? She's like, yeah. He's like, oh, I didn't see you. He's smiling, like pleasantries with her. And I want to point out that like he is not addressing any of the unpleasantness that should be between them, right? Like he knows what he said to her about not having it. One, turned out not to be true. And two, devastated her. He knows that from like Richard telling him, he knows that she was really hurt. Also, she called him and, like, belittled him and tore him a new one over the phone for not being a good dad and being narcissistic. Like, stuff Mm -hmm. that, like, would ruin a relationship if you were to tell a father in law to be, maybe, for some people. Yeah, he could have just told her, like, you're taking the next elevator, bitch. (laughs) Yeah. My point is that you would expect him to be, like, maybe a little cold or reserved towards Rory, especially given that, like, embarrassing phone call where she, like, ripped him a new one. But he's not. It's all water under the bridge for him. And I think that's so good writing-wise because it's like I think they do such a good job with Mitchum because I feel like he is a guy who is not always right about stuff, but he really values frank talk. He really is like, I don't want to do pleasantries, bullshit. Like, I'm going to tell you how I feel, and I want you to tell me how you feel. And because Rory wasn't really doing that at the paper, that's why he didn't think she had it because he values that trait way above other traits. And her calling him and, like, just calling him out for all this stuff, angrily saying shit to him, he's fine with it. He might even respect her more because she did that. Right. And so I kind of like that he's all like, yeah, everything's cool between us. Like, you called me out, but, like, I needed to be called out, so that makes sense. It's interesting because they sort of tell us he's this evil man, like Logan does. Yeah. And I do think maybe he what he did a few episodes ago with, like, putting Rory's name in that article just to, like, make himself look good was, you know, a little shitty. Yes. But 
like a lot of kids think their parents suck. You know what I mean? So yeah. we're, we're kind of like learning a lot about him through Logan's opinion. Yeah. And to be fair, other people's opinions. Yes. Like the other newspaper people. Some of which may be true, but like Logan's sort of an unreliable narrator when it comes totally. to the mm-hmm. opinion of his father. And uh, I want to say that the writing for Mitchum, I'm not saying like, oh, he's actually a good guy, but I'm just saying the writing is consistent, I think, uh-huh. for him. And it's cool because it's like, yeah, he's this cold dude who's narcissistic, who like wants to do everything he can to make himself successful, even at the expense of other people's emotions or the truth. But I, I do think he's consistent. And I think he doesn't think he's evil or not evil. You know, he doesn't think he's a bad person. So I just I really like that about him. I guess his character has a point of view that internally makes sense and is consistent. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she just goes out, off on him in the elevator. She's all like, you obviously did this on purpose. You brought those people in to like ruin our last day together. You hate me because I'm his girlfriend and you want him to be like this businessman and I'm like stopping that. Well, he insists that that's not the case. And finally, he just stops the elevator. And he's like, no, we need to have a talk. He says he's not involved in Logan's love life at all. He does not hate Rory. And he's sending Logan away not to keep him away from Rory, but because Logan needs to grow up and he needs to get away from his comfort zone, his environment here, and bad childish influences like Colin and Finn and the Life and Death Brigade. And he needs to grow up because Logan is in this perpetual adolescent stage. And he says, like, I was the same way and my father sent me away and I grew up and that's what I'm doing for my son now and he needs it. He then asks Rory if there's anything he said that she disagrees with and she doesn't say a word. She's like hearing this and realizing that he's right. And I think this season has sort of shown us that like, yeah, Logan does need to grow up. And Rory kind of thinks so. Like she sort of criticized him for a lot of these things. Yeah. And I think that Logan's words here, the frank talk he's giving her actually got through to her. Mitchum's words. Who did I say? Logan's. Logan's father's words. (laughs) I honestly do think that Rory's being a little selfish here. Really? Yeah, because when she first confronts him, she's like, did you know we had plans? He probably didn't. She's like, you didn't assume he had plans with his girlfriend on his graduation day? Now, I would say she seems to love him more than his family does, but it's also the last day his family is going to see him for a while. And I would say that family takes precedent on graduation day. I would also argue that Mitchum probably was like, maybe he does have plans, but it's still early in the evening right now. He doesn't know that she's got to go to Friday night dinner for a while. Yeah, it was like six. Like, there's so much evening left. Yeah. It's also surprising to me that Rory is even doing Friday night dinner at all. She's only doing drinks, but Emily and Richard are like pro-Logan Rory. Yeah, so I think they would let her fuck out the whole night. Yeah, she, just, just fuck out. But he says, you flatter yourself if I think I care that much about your relationship. Yeah. I thought that was like a good point. Like, you're really making this seem like Mitchum's doing this to you to, like, spite you. And I don't think he was at all. I think from her point of view, though, she knows that she was really harsh with him on the phone at the hospital, right? Yes. And I think maybe she's like, there's no way you're not, like, hating me for that. But, like, Mitchum is the kind of robot person that wouldn't. And that's so different from her that she maybe thinks that you must hate me because of the mean things we've said to each other. And like I said, she understands that his family is kind of shitty. Like, they didn't want to come see him when he was dying in the hospital. Right. So I bet she was like, yeah, he's my family. I'll spend the whole day with him. But, like, for her to assume that he wouldn't spend some time with his family on graduation day, who's, like, coming into town. Yeah. It's unclear where his family lives. I don't know if they ever really say. Maybe New York? You'd think he would address the fact that his mom's, like, insane and, like, didn't come see him when he was in the hospital. Yeah. It does just seem a little presumptuous that she thought she could have him all day. 
I agree, especially since it's still so early. It's not like 11 at night. It's like he, there's plenty of time for him to spend time with his girlfriend, even if that were true. Yeah. Okay, so at Friday night dinner, Rory is finishing up a quick call with Finn, telling him to get Colin and Logan to someplace by 9.30. Of course, there's some fun dialogue with Finn. She's like, I like trust you completely. Then you hear her say like, no, it's not surprising. That's the <laughs> first time you've heard that before. <laughs> I do think that all of the dialogue with Finn is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> even when it's just over the phone. Then Emily and Richard have something to show Rory. And I have thoughts about this. Oh, my God. Lorelai has shown up, by the way. Yes, Lorelai has shown up. And Emily says, like, uh, is Luke coming? Because, like, last time we talked, it didn't seem great between you guys. This was so sweet. Because she sort of, like, genuinely asked Lorelai how she is after yes. the last time they were together. Yeah. She's like, is Luke coming? And she's like, no. And she doesn't, like, pester her more about it. She's like, and how are we doing? Meaning, like, you and Luke? Yeah. So Lorelai and Rory are there, and Richard and Emily are so excited to announce something. Apparently, they're getting a bunch of money from a settlement with the doctor who botched her eye surgery. Again, it's not totally clear if he actually did botch the surgery or not, but whatever. They're getting a settlement. And they're like, with this settlement money and the money we were already going to donate to Yale, we're going to be able to get a huge building dedicated to Rory. And they unveil a little scale model of the new Rory Gilmore Astronomy Building. Her name is just enormous plastered on this thing. Just, like, huge. Rory's freaking out about the size of her name, and Lorelai's teasing her for it. It's all very, very funny. However, if you guys look at this model, it, and we got to put a picture somewhere. This it model makes no sense. This is an astronomy building with an observatory. That's the part at the top of the telescope that can rotate in 360 to look at any part of the sky. That's what you would need to have an astronomy observatory, like, to be able to look at the whole sky. But... It's clear someone, like, Googled astronomy building and, like, kind of pieced something together without thinking about it. The front part, the circle that has the telescope that needs to be able to see all of the sky, has just a huge second story right next to it that would block 50% of the sky. Yeah. You just can't look at it. So there's no, it's like, it's insanely stupid. Richard and Emily wanted you to be able to look through a telescope to see the Rory Gilmore sign better. (laughs) You know what makes it even bigger? This industrial telescope that looks at the moon. It's really funny if you look at this, how poorly designed this is and how this could not be a real building. Yeah, it seems like a design mistake because otherwise the writing would have called it out, I think. There's plenty of space there for Rory to be like, also, this isn't how astronomy works. Yeah, it feels like they should have been like, this design makes no sense. It'd be like, this is an astronomy building where we study just the east, just the east part of the sky. Anyways, so Rory's like, all right, I got to go. She leaves. But then ding dong, ding dong, surprise, surprise, Christopher shows up. Uh-oh. Remember that dinner that he had off screen with Emily and Richard? Well, apparently they promised him a meal and invited him because they're going to be gone for a couple months of vacation. They're like, it's the last chance we have to give him a meal. And for a second, I'm like, okay, Emily, you know things are bad with Luke. You clearly invited him over to, like, get him hooked up with Lorelai. Brian was so worried Christopher and Lorelai were going to hook up. Yeah, I was, huh? But it is a setup, but not for Lorelai, because ding, 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 someone else shows up. Who is it? But it's another friend of the family, Carolyn, a.k.a. Linny. And it's actually a setup for this person, Linny, and Christopher. Emily's trying to play matchmaker with these two people. She kind of set the groundwork for this in the previous episode. Also, Lenny is Jan? Is that Jan from The Office, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is a setup, and Richard and Emily do not hide that at all. It's kind of like when Logan was there, where like everything they said, they're like, oh my God, isn't that a hilarious thing that fits perfectly into Christopher's life? <laughs> and one of the things Emily says is she's always so envious of Johnny Carson's wives. <laughs> <laughs> 
He can't keep a woman, but he makes them laugh. (laughs) Emily, like, grabs Lorelai's arm and just physically drags her over to her couch. And she's like, oh, look, there's a spot right next to Christopher for Lenny. We find out that Lenny is a psychologist. More on that later. And she moved here from Maine, where neither Emily nor Christopher have been. I find that so hard to believe. Yeah. Maine is not far from Connecticut, and it's like a, a place you'd go. Yeah. For like a weekend away. There's no way someone with that kind of money hasn't been to Maine. The whole night, Emily and Richard are just like singing Christopher and Lenny's praises to both of them. Just constantly talking about how beautiful they look together and how everything fits perfectly into each other's lives. At some point, Lorelai goes to the bathroom and Chris follows her. He's like, oh, when you said go in the bathroom, I thought that was code for like you wanted to talk in private. She's like, no, I just need to pee. But then the two of them joke back and forth about what a bad, obvious setup this is. And Christopher's like, I need help getting out of this. Why aren't you helping me? And Lorelai's like, oh, well, I thought maybe you wanted to hook up with this girl because you're both beautiful. She calls him attractive like three times in this scene. Yeah. She's like, you know, you're beautiful. And like, she's beautiful, but you're also beautiful and you're beautiful. And I'm going to pee and think about how beautiful you are. At some point, he's like, no, 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 like, you got to help me get out of this. She's like, well, now that I know you're not interested, old buddy, like, I'll help you. You can count on me because I always know you got my back. And then she puts her hand on his shoulder and then he rubs her arm intimately. This scene is very flirty, very intimate. There's no way if Luke saw this, he would be pissed. They're in a bathroom together rubbing each other's arms. It's a it's a lot. Honestly, Uh, and as soon as this scene happened, I already knew what was happening for the rest of the episode. Like, oh, did you? Well, I mean, no, I didn't know exactly, but I had a gut sensation where this is going. A few things. They say they have each other's back, just like Don and Buffy. Oh. Don says, I got your back. That's right. Also, Christopher pitches trying to escape, and Lorelai's like, what? You can't just leave. She's literally escaped Friday night dinner before, out the window. Yeah. Well, I think she's flirting with him really she's like kind of teasing him that's true because it gets very teasy and very very flirty and part of me thinks that this is intentional on Lorelai's part I think she's maybe looking for an escape from the Luke wedding and like Christopher is that escape and more on that later but I think that this is already like part of her brain is already thinking that I don't know because she seems like she loves Luke in the next scene I will say, and we've talked about this many times, but, like, Christopher and Lorelai do have, like, really good chemistry together. And honestly, on-screen chemistry, so much better than her and Luke. Just their conversational back and forth is so fast and funny and, like, friendly. That doesn't mean I'm shipping Christopher and Lorelai. I'm shipping Luke and Lorelai. Just because you have conversational chemistry doesn't mean there isn't other types of chemistry that are important. But it is fun watching them flirt on screen because they're really good at it. So then at dinner, Lorelai starts running interference for Christopher and, like, constantly asking Lenny ridiculous questions, like having her explain what her walrus dream might have meant, just, like, trying to get in between any suggestion that Richard or Emily make about, like, there being any kind of matchmaking possibilities between them. And it's really pissing Richard and Emily off. They're just like, enough, Lorelai, stop with the jokes, like, the whole Emily's time. Emily's like, Lorelai, are you having some kind of breakdown? <laughs> Afterwards, Emily is pissed because it didn't work out with Christopher and Lenny. She's like, they're going home separately. They're not getting coffee, so it didn't work out. And then she sort of like shits on Christopher a little bit because he mentioned his motorcycle. And Lorelai's all like, huh, it's kind of fun being on this side of like the mean talk. Yeah. Emily sees Lorelai out and then yells to the maid, Greta, did I fire you? And then Greta yells no. And then Emily's like, whoa, really? Everything's off tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's so funny. Did I fire you? No. What? She did set up that she hated that maid, too. She, like, moved too slow. Yeah, I mean, she did. But 
that's that could be any maid. She never says a positive thing about a maid. Well, she does, and then later hates him. On her way out, Lorelai runs into Linny, who's in her car finishing up a therapy phone call with somebody. Linny also knew this was a setup, but she thought it was cute. She doesn't seem upset that it didn't work out with Chris. I don't know. I think she might have been willing to entertain the idea of dating Chris. Yeah. At the dinner, she seemed to like almost want to talk to Christopher a little bit and like said a lot of the things, you know, seemed in common or connected. But I don't think that she was like, oh, I came here with Christopher. She was like, oh, this was a setup and it was pretty obvious. It's such an awkward thing, though. They should have just had him over on a night when Lorelai wasn't there. Yeah. Because that adds a whole extra layer of like, because I'm assuming they explain that Lorelai and Chris were like the parents of their grandchild. So clearly they have a relationship and like Lenny doesn't know the dynamics of that. And like, yeah, even okay that she flirts with Christopher. Yeah, it's, it'd be hard to flirt with someone when their ex is right there. Even if you're like, oh, they're not together anymore. I'd be like, yeah, it's a little weird to flirt, though. So yeah, if Emily truly wanted this to work, don't do it with Lorelai there. Totally. I mean, I think anyone can get into a point in a relationship where it's like, yeah, I'm happy for you flirting with your new girlfriend. But like that initial getting to know flirt, like this is this is hard. To, I don't know what the boundaries are. But I think this does kind of confirm that Emily was just trying to set up Christopher and wasn't trying to mess with Luke and Lorelai. No, I want to agree with you, but Emily is such an evil mastermind. I don't even know. I really, I legitimately do not know. I want to agree with you, but I don't know. Linny also notices that something is wrong with Lorelai. Why? Because Lorelai says, nice meeting you, like, three times. Yeah. <laughs> she just keeps saying that, like, she doesn't want to go. Yeah. And Linny's like, do you want to talk? And Lorelai's like, nah, I don't want to talk. Cut to her in the back of the car, just, like, spilling all of her beans <laughs> while Linny's taking notes in the front seat. She tells Linny that she never loved Max, although she wanted to love Max. She also talks a little bit how she never really wanted to get married. She never saw herself as getting married. And Lenny points out that, like, maybe you didn't ever want to get married because the idea of marriage came from your parents and was, like, the solution to a problem and wasn't because of love. And you've always sort of seen it that way. And Lord's like, oh, maybe. And I knew I wanted to marry Luke, though. I knew I was ready for that when I saw how protective he was of Rory, in addition to the fact that he's, like, a strong person who will take care of her. But that, like, his protectiveness of Rory is what really told her that this is the man for her to get married to. She says he pretty much accepted her proposal right away when Lenny asks. I was like, he accepted so right away, Lorelai. Yeah, he said what once and then <laughs> and said yes. You barely finished the question. Yeah, it was a weird writing choice to say pretty much. Well, I guess it would have been uninteresting for her to be like, yes. But then like, why even have Lenny ask but the question? Why even, ha- yeah, why even have the question? Lorelai says that she is ready to get married now and start the next phase of her life. She says she wants another kid, and she doesn't want to be patient anymore. She's been patient for too long, and she feels crappy all the time, and she wants to just do it. And Lenny tells her, like, well, you should tell Luke that, if that's what you want. She's like, well, if I tell Luke, I push him too much, I might lose him. And Lenny's like, well, you don't seem to have him now, at least not in the way you want. And you can only get something if you ask for it. And if you don't get it, then maybe it was never meant to be, no matter how much we wish it were. And I think that's kind of referencing Max. Like, you wanted it to be meant to be with Max, but it wasn't. And it didn't matter how much you'd wanted it to be. She doesn't say that, but I'm going to assume that's what she's kind of suggesting. I kind of don't buy that Lorelai wouldn't tell Linny to, like, go park down the block to do this. It seems wild that they're just, like, sitting in Emily's driveway. I mean, maybe she knows they went to bed. Yeah. But, like, my parents would know if I was still in the driveway after, like, an hour. So would Emily and Richard. That's what I mean. I I just don't think Lorelai would want them to know that this happened. I think Emily's just inside being like, hey, somebody's going home with somebody. (laughs) That's all tonight was about. So after her talk, Lorelai barges into Luke's diner, a total wreck. By the way, one of the troubadours is there, and he's pissed that he can't just buy half a cup of coffee. (laughs) 
He's yeah. like, I'm not going to drink the rest. So he's got, he was poured a full cup. Yeah, if you're poured a full cup. Sorry, dude. Luke turns to Lorelai and is like, where have you been? I haven't like talked to you in like two days. I've been trying to get a hold of you. I went to your house. Miss Patty was at your house. Like, what's going on? Why are you a wreck right now? And she's all like, let's elope. Like right then, like, let's go grab your keys. Let's go elope right now. She says, you know, you mentioned at Martha's Vineyard that we could elope. So let's just do it. Let's just do it right now. And we could start our life together. We've got this plan. Let's put it in motion. It's worth noting that she sounds incredibly manic and unhinged in this scene. Yeah. She's like almost in tears. She's talking rapidly, demanding they do this right now because she doesn't want to wait anymore. And she does not seem super stable or rational. She seems like on the edge of tears, like she's about to break down. I think that's important to mention. Luke takes her outside where she continues to tell him that she loves him. And if he loves her, they should just do this right now. And that things with April will be fine if they get married. Anna said so. First off, Anna did not say that. Anna was like, if you guys get married, we'll talk again. Secondly, this is news to Luke that she had the secret meeting with Anna. He's all like, you met with Anna? You weren't supposed to meet with Anna. He's not super excited about this. And she apologized and then takes back her apology. But I have to say, like, you did meet behind her back and you never told Luke. It's, it's, I don't know. It's weird. I, I feel like what you should have said to Luke is super important to me that I be part of April's life with you now. Uh, I would like to meet Anna. So he's got a lot going on in his brain right now. Like, she met with Anna. She wants to elope. And he's like, well, I need some time to think about this. And she shouts, no, it's now or never. And she gives him the ultimatum. He's like, I hate ultimatums. She's like, yeah, well, I hate Mondays. <laughs> it's not supposed to be funny, but it was, it was funny to me. And he's like, well, I can't just jump like this. And I'm not sure if he means, like, jump like this, like, get married. Or, you know, he is in the town square where jumping is prohibited. So it's not yes. clear. Yes. So maybe that's all he's saying. <laughs> he respects Taylor suddenly. <laughs> yeah. You know what's super interesting? There was an episode, I can't remember which, I should have looked it up. I think it's before they're dating. It's like when they're talking about buying the inn and him buying the building his business is in or something. Yeah. And he's like giving her advice saying like sometimes you have to just jump. And jump, what I was thinking of was that scene with Rory and Logan where he convinces her to jump. Yeah. And I was like, that's not the same, but like there is something about like taking that leap of faith. Mm-hmm. But he says, I can't, I can't just jump like this. And she's like, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And then she's like, and I got to go. And she walks off. As she walks away, she passes one of the new troubadours, which is the woman who sings the lalas. Sam Phillips. And her like band partner has a crazy looking violin thing. I don't know what that is. To be clear, she's not singing lalas. She's singing words. Right. <sighs> then Lorelai, she says she has to go. Where is she going that she has to go? Away. Yeah, she, but she almost says it like, I've got an appointment. She walks away from the conversation because he says he can't just do it right then. And she goes to Christopher's. The next scene is her knocking on Christopher's door and says she's having a really bad night and just doesn't want to be alone right now. I have thoughts. We'll talk about this in a bit. Okay. Ugh, fuck, man. What's wrong? I just, I'm upset about this scene. I see. That's fair. Back to Rory. Logan arrives at his apartment telling Colin and Finn that he appreciates them, had fun spending time with them. But the rest of the night, he's spending alone with his girl, only to open the door to find Rory dressed in some, like, 60s British flight attendant outfit. <laughs> she looks like a character from Austin Powers. Yeah, she's got, like, a strawberry blonde wig on. Yeah. She answers the door saying, hello, governor, chips, in a really bad British accent. And she's thrown together a British-themed goodbye party for Logan with all of his friends. Honestly, I don't know why specifically, but, like, this sentiment and this thing, like, really touched me. I don't know. It just did. Yeah. It's cute. The, the sentiment of the party is, like, 
we know you're not excited about going to London, but we're going to like ease you into it with all this cool British stuff. Yeah. And that's what she says. Like, you know, as this character, she's sort of playing like, I know you're not happy about going, but we want to show you that Britain, you know, England can be fun. He also threw her that felon themed party when she got arrested. That's right. So it's sort of like her doing the same for him. Yeah, and I think that this, she kind of like knew maybe what he needed too, because originally it was going to be like a date night at the diner. I don't think she was making that up with her mom. No. So I think this was like a change of plans for the night. Mm -hmm. Later at the party, Logan thanks Roy for throwing this thing for him. She asks him a few times if he needs anything, specifically if he wants more to drink, and keeps mentioning that there's a bunch of beer. And I think this send-off is not just a send-off to like, you know, college is done, you're like going to England. I think this is her being like, this is your last night as, like, adolescent Logan, binge drinking, party man Logan. Sure. So, like, drink up. Drink. Have as much as you want to drink because you're going to be an adult the next time I see you and you're not going to be this binge drinking party boy. She asked him if he wants to try the frug again. Did you look up what it was? No, I didn't. Did you? Yeah, it's a dance. It's a dance? Yeah. We were like, what could that be? Because she says, you want to try the frug again? My cramp is gone. So we're like, is that food? Oh, it's a dance. Okay, that makes sense. It's um, a Fosse dance. Fosse is a, like a choreographer, I believe. The uh, magic to do a choreography is based on as well. Oh. I think the most important part of the scene, though, is that Logan is sitting there and he turns to her and says, Rory, tell me not to go. Tell me to blow off this future I have, my responsibilities, my whole legacy. Tell me to, to not go. And she says, I can't do that. Why, Rory? I think this is because Mitchum's words got through to her that, like, Logan needs to grow up. It's interesting, right? Because on the one hand, she doesn't say, like, it's up to you. You have to make that decision. She just says, I can't do that. Because I think she's like, yeah, I, I think you do need to grow up, Logan. I think this is probably what's best for you. Yeah. And you could argue that, like, if she, like, loved him, she would say, like, you know, I don't want to tell you what to do. You do what you want to do. Like, you make this decision. But a little bit maybe selfish Rory is like, no, I want you to be an adult man who, like, takes responsibility for things. Yeah. That's the partner I would prefer. So can you become that, please? And selfishly, she doesn't have to tell him that herself. She can kind of just piggyback off of Mitchum's plan for him and hope it works out for her, too. Yeah. We're looking at this from, like, there is some maybe selfishness in what Roy's saying. But also, like, if she really does know Logan, she might know that Logan does need this. Yeah. So I don't want to be like, this is a selfish Rory thing. I'm just saying this has got layers to it. No, yeah, totally. I think she really does love him, but I think she wants him to be a better man and knows that he can be. And I think Logan on some level also knows that. Mm-hmm. Not to mention she can't really stop him. Like, she could tell him not to go, but I don't know that that would do anything. Right. Well, the next morning, Logan wakes up Rory. She goes into panic mode because he's dressed and ready to go. She's like, I just need like five minutes to throw some stuff on. I'm going to see you off to the airport. And he insists that she can't come to the airport. They're saying their goodbyes now. She's like, no, no, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. He's like, no, if you come to the airport with me, I won't be able to get on the plane. Like, I, we need to say our goodbyes now. <sighs> they kiss. He leaves. She follows him out to the hallway and watches him get into the elevator. And she waves. And he doesn't wave back. I think he's like, I said my goodbye. I can't prolong goodbyes anymore. Like, or else it's too hard for me. Yeah. This scene is pretty intense. It's. I watched it before we watched the episode. And it got me. And then yeah. we watched the episode and it got me. And then I've watched it since then again and it got me. It's so good. Yeah, and uh, Lex Bledel plays it perfectly. Like, the crying is totally believable, and her hurt- You feel the love. Is totally believable. I've been in this situation where it's like you're saying goodbye to someone that you're still dating, but you don't know when you'll see them next, and it's going to be hard to not be with them. Yeah. 
We've both done long distance. It's but this is like real long distance. Like, yeah, uh, I dated someone in Minnesota. We see each other every other weekend. Right, same. Yeah, I would maybe go like a month without seeing. I dated someone in, when I was in college who was still back home. Ugh, I know some people are gonna like roll their eyes at this next part, but I just want to say like as they're saying goodbye, he's all like, "The apartment is paid for for the next year, and you can use my car service while I'm gone for a while." And I'm just like, God, the privilege that he's just like displaying right now is absurd. It's just like, listen, I know breaking up is hard with me, but I'm so rich. Here's an entire beautiful like condo you can live in for free for a year. There was something still sweet about that, though. Like he was taking care of her, you know, she's just like going through logistics as they're like, you know, he's taking crying. care of her with money. He did not earn it all. Do you know what I mean? Like he's taking care of her by but it's no effort to take care of her. No, I hear you. But it just, just like it could have been whatever he was saying in this moment. Yeah, I know it's supposed to be sweet. Just being like, don't forget to water the plants. Like, he's just going through what he needs to say. And she's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm just so sad right now. I know. It, I, I don't mean to ruin it for everyone, but I, that part just bothered me. Because, again, it's all stuff he didn't work for. So, like, this, like, really generous, like, you have the apartment for a year because my dad agreed to pay for it. Like, I feel like they do a lot of stuff where Logan's the hero, but he sacrificed nothing to be the hero. Yeah. Like, you can use my car service. I'm going to save the day with something I did no work for. doesn't make Logan a bad character, okay? And it doesn't make him evil or, like, bad or more. It's just, like, this thing where I feel like we're almost supposed to feel like he's this really good, generous guy. But it's like, yeah, you're not generous if you're crazy rich and money means nothing to you. Anyway, sorry for ruining that beautiful scene. It was great. It's okay. So that scene's sad. Probably end on that. Except then we cut to Lorelai in bed at Chris's. Getting her soul. <laughs> so this scene mirrors the opening scene. Did you catch that on the first watch? I did not. I was going to mention it to you, but I was like, he'll probably catch it when he rewatches it. Yeah, I caught it. So she's in bed, like looking at the camera, and we're sort of seeing stuff happen off screen behind her. Or like hearing stuff happen off screen and seeing a little bit. As she's like sleeping, yeah. quote unquote. We hear Christopher getting Gigi ready for school, I think, or like to go somewhere. While she's like getting Gigi ready, Gigi like kind of runs into the room and sees Lorelai in bed. She's like, who is that? He's like, it's Aunt Lorelai. And she's like, oh, is she sick? Christopher's all like, nah. She's like, yeah, when I'm sick, I don't like wearing my nightgown to bed either, which tells us Lorelai's not wearing clothes. Then Gigi leaves. Christopher then takes his robe off, gets into bed, and puts his arm around Lorelai. Aww. And Lorelai just stares dead-eyed into the camera like, what have I done? Or like... I don't know what we're supposed to get from her, but, like, it's not necessarily a look of, like, I'm happy or I made a good decision, but it's definitely a look like something's happened and I don't know how to address these feelings right now. Like She's processing it or unable to process everything. It doesn't seem like a happy look. Christopher seems happy, but... Yeah, it, it does not. Okay, so she slept with Christopher. I mean, that was her plan going over there, right? I don't know. I could see a world where they were just talking and it led there. I don't believe that she intentionally did this, no. I don't know, man. I don't know. I really don't know. She could have gone to Suki's again. Now, they had set up in this episode her rapport with Christopher and Christopher being like, I always got your back. So she's like, Christopher's on her mind as someone that could be there to console her. And he already sort of did that earlier this season, a couple episodes ago, by taking care of her when she was drunk. I think it's shitty of her. I think she cheated on Luke. She did. I mean, she gave him an ultimatum and... He didn't really say no. He was just like, I don't like ultimatums. He wasn't like, no, we can't get married. Then the answer's no. If you need an answer, the answer's no. He didn't really answer the question. He just didn't say, let's do it. So you could argue that was no, 
But then they didn't leave it with like, we'll talk about this later. She's like, then I'm going to go. I don't think that was enough of a breakup for an engaged couple. She didn't even say, then I'm going to go. She's like, and I have to go. She said that like, I've got this other obligation I've got to deal with right now. Like Logan and Rory's cheating situation was way more gray because like they like literally didn't speak for weeks until he yeah. even slept with other people. Yeah. This, it's been no time. They didn't officially break up. Even if they did officially break up, it seems very soon for her to go sleep with Christopher. Yeah. You can argue like she sleeps with Christopher like every few seasons. It's, I don't know, it's pretty easy to slip into. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not like <laughs> yeah, she went and fell mean. in love with someone new or just like met some random guy. This is like, I don't know, but almost, it's, it's almost more hurtful just because then Luke's going to be like, well, did you just like love him this whole time and want that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Her going to Christopher's to me, it was like, you're, you at least know you could sleep with him. It's also shitty of Christopher. I don't know. I mean, it's not like he cares about Luke, really. No, I mean, I'm torn because I'm torn about how I feel about Christopher sleeping with her. So on the one hand, Christopher tried the like, I think we're meant to be together. I think everyone knows that. Jess told me to say all this. That's just something I just would say Uh, at the wedding or the vow renewal. And he was like, we're meant to be together. One day we will be together. And I think he does still maybe feel that in some part of his brain. Yeah. And now he sees this as the time. He may think, hey, she's with Luke. Maybe I should just let her be with Luke. But he's also like, we're meant to be together. I want Lorelai. I'm in love with Lorelai. If I sleep with her, which she's down to do, I'm not forcing this on her, then she's definitely going to break up with Luke. And then I get to be with her. And at the end, we're both going to be happy because I want her more than anything. We're meant to be together. Our lives gel better than her and Luke's. And deep down, I think she does love me. Obviously, she's here sleeping with me. So even though this is maybe ruining or not cool for Luke, like it is ultimately better for everybody. Sure. And, like, if you had somebody who was love of your life and you had a chance to, like, lock them down to be with you forever, it'd be tempting to do it. Because if you're like, if I don't and you make up with the other person, I just have to love you from afar for forever? That's true. Okay. I'm Team Christopher. I'm not Team Christopher, but I I, I don't <laughs> no. necessarily think that his actions are, like, evil. It's, like, complicated. And, again, we don't know what Lorelai said. She could be an unreliable narrator where she's like, yeah, Luke just wouldn't marry me. Fuck him, you know? Yeah. There's so much about this ultimatum scene, though. Like, Luke, I think, should have just said, I'm down to discuss this. Can I please close the restaurant and we'll do it in, like, an hour? And this would have been a much different outcome. Yeah. But he didn't do that. He just, he didn't. So I get why she was a little annoyed, but he, I don't know, he needed to recognize that she was, like, going through something right now. And even if he couldn't say yes, maybe he should have heard her out more calmly in, like, a bit. Well, I mean, that's I think that's unfair to Luke because there wasn't a bit. She was like, it's now, like right now, this instant or never. Now, you are right. He could have said some things like, can we wait an hour? I'm willing to do this, but like I need to close the restaurant. I need to do some other stuff. Yeah. She was being so much and unreasonable. I'm not unreasonable. I don't know. It's just, also they should have had this conversation forever ago. Like it's it's kind of dumb that they never communicated their feelings. Then also she's like, like I mentioned, she's in this state of like mania, it seems like. Or like, I don't know if mania is the right word, but like she's like about to break down. You can hear in her voice. So like this impulsive, like, let's just get married from Luke's perspective. He might be like, are you stable right now? Like what's happening? Do you want to make this huge life decision? Like, I'm worried about your state of mind right now. Like, what has led to this? Like, why are you suddenly exploding? Like, we should discuss it. 
Right. But she's not willing. So it's not insane to me that someone might be like, hey, I don't know that I want to like elope with you right this second because I don't know that you're thinking rationally. Like what's even happening? Are you like wasted? But he doesn't even ask those questions. I'm not trying to defend Luke. I think Lorelai is 100% wrong here. I remembered this with Luke being like, well, then the answer's no. Like, maybe not exactly that line of dialogue. I thought he, like, gave her a more firm no and that her sleeping with Christopher was, like, a little bit more okay. But it doesn't really end. That other time they broke up after the vow renewal, she kind of just assumed they were broken up because he needed more time. Wasn't that, like, a similar thing? Where he was like, I'm not ready for this right now, or I can't do this right now. And she sort of took it to mean they were broken up. So I guess maybe that makes sense that she just thinks if he's not ready to do something, they're broken up. I think we can all admit Luke should have said, let's talk. I'm willing to do this. Let's talk tonight. I just need to close this and let's, let's talk about it more. And you, you can say that Luke should have done that. Or you could say Luke could have been crazy romantic and just like jumped at it. But let's also keep in mind that like she threw at him immediately like, also, I met with Anna and she and I talked about us getting married and she said it'd be fine. That's like a lot for him to digest. And just given the state Lorelai's in, it's not insane for Luke to be like, I need some time to think about all this. So it's saying that like Luke should have just jumped at it. It's like, OK, well, then say Lorelai should have waited another week. <laughs> like you could say it either way. Yeah, I mean, the advice she got from the therapist was tell him what you want. And if it's not going to happen, maybe this isn't the right thing for you. But she didn't say like shout it at him tonight. And also, I think Lenny was like, say, hey, I want to get married soon. I don't want to wait. That's different than I want to get married right this second. Like, I think it could have been just as effective if she had like a calm conversation with him. And he just like straight up said, well, then no, I can't yet. I love you. Is that can we work this out? And she was just like, well, if you can't, then are you ever going to be able to, you know, like, mm -hmm. I just feel like this made it hard to think Lorelai was in the right at all. Yeah. And usually the show's pretty good about making it gray. Who's more mm -hmm. right in the situation? Mm -hmm. And then for her to just like, well, then I'm sleeping with Chris. Like, you can argue that wasn't her plan. And I see that, right? She just goes over there for comfort and comfort becomes sex. We've all been there. We've all fucked Christopher. So I can see that happening. But like, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of bad decisions that Lorelai's making. And I think it's unfair to Luke what she did. And she needed to be like, Luke, I want to elope this week. Yeah. That gives Luke enough time to be like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about it. Also, there's other things like, why hasn't Luke moved in with her? Why hasn't Luke gone ahead and married her? But again, these are questions she should be asking Luke. <laughs> not, let's get married. I'm not going to ask you why we're not married. So, was this a good episode? I think yes. I don't think it was the best finale, but the Logan and Rory stuff was great. The party, the conversation with Mitchum, their goodbye scene, all of that was really good. Mm -hmm. Though this thing with Luke and Lorelai, we just poked a bunch of holes in it. It was sort of a nice dramatic moment, you know, her pleading with him on the street, but I think it could have been handled better. The Troubadour thing was kind of fun, but ultimately that didn't really mean much. Right. Yeah, it was just a random, unrelated storyline. Yeah, it didn't really end. Like, Taylor just kind of gave up on it. Like, is that just going to be happening forever? I agree. It didn't really fit in, but it was still fun, so mm -hmm. it didn't bother me. Yeah, I wouldn't say it bothered me, but like, ultimately it didn't really go anywhere. I also just realized that, like, sleeping with Christopher is such a hurtful thing to do to Luke. Yeah. And if she's saying that she loves Luke, I don't know how she could hurt him like that. Yeah. I know. It's it's a really big deal. So it, Lorelai's choices are just, like, too much in this episode. And I don't know that she was, like, pushed enough by Luke to make the choices that she made. Because she wasn't communicating her feelings to him. So I kind of think that's almost bad writing. Yeah. I mean, not that Lorelai isn't a human being. I can't do emotional, irrational things. We all do. I've set up that Lorelai is emotionally intelligent unless it's about her own emotions. But 
yeah, I don't know. She must realize what she's doing is going to affect Luke horribly, and she's hurting someone that she just told she loves. Ugh. Overall, I think it was nice. It just wasn't like the most epic finale. I don't know. Her screaming at him in the street is pretty epic, but yeah, I didn't really like that. But yes, I'll say it's a good episode. Do you? Yeah, it was a good one. I mean, it's it's got things in it that are complicated, and there's some writing that you could say is not the best, but overall, it's got those heartstring moments. And some of the writing problems is like season six overall, that they just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. aren't communicating about this April thing properly. So which episode do you think was better? Uh, I'm so torn. I'm so torn on this. Uh, I'm torn. I really like Xander saving the day. I really like Willow breaking down in Xander's arms. I think it's beautiful. It really pays off their friendship that we've like this undercurrent of the whole show. Uh, but uh, I think I'm going Gilmore Girls. Whoa. Wow. I don't know. I'm really torn. I, 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 I didn't know what was going to come out of my mouth until it did. Me neither. I just I really hated the exposition from Giles. That just seemed really bad to me, the, like the writing for that. And I hate that they didn't mention that Willow wants to end the world because of Buffy's suffering. I didn't have any. I did cry at the Xander Willow scene. Yeah. I uh, I don't know. I hated a lot of the shit for the Gilmore one. You know what? Buffy. Well, you went on a journey there. I did. Wow. Sorry, everyone. That must have been a ride for you. What do you think? Which one do you think was better? I think it was Buffy. Yeah. There's. Definitely flaws in Buffy. We watched that one first, and I was left feeling a little let down. Sure. Especially when you compare it, like we said, to previous Buffy finales that have been like 10 out of 10. But overall, I think it was just a better piece. Where Gilmore, I don't know, it wasn't a bad episode, but it wasn't a great, great episode of Gilmore Girls, whether it's a finale or not. And then I just, like, the Troubadour stuff was fine, but didn't mean much. Like, the season four in-opening sub-game was, like, way more interesting and funnier than the Troubadour thing. And then, yeah, the Luke and Lorelai stuff just has a lot of plot holes in it, I think. I don't know if plot holes is the right word, but... Plot cavities. (laughs) Plot metaphors. (laughs) That's funny, because Buffy's hole was a metaphor, in case anyone was just like, what the fuck is Stacey talking about? (laughs) It makes sense if you listen to the Buffy half. Mm -hmm. And was very funny. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think Buffy was just, like, a better story and more epic. I love that goodbye with Rory and Logan, though. I agree, but that's like 10 seconds of the show. That and Xander and Willow are the best two scenes of both shows, and they both got me. Yeah. But the Xander-Willow one's probably better. It is really beautiful. And shout out to Allison Hannigan. Great job with these last few episodes. She is so good. I really think she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think Sarah Michelle Gellar is also very good, but like, I don't know. She is so good. Yeah. And what fun to get to be evil. Yeah, I know. You play this mousy character for like 90% of the show, and then it's like, oh, you get to go balls to the wall evil. <laughs> Fuck yeah. There's a really fun line where she comes back after getting set free from the flubber donut, and she says, fool me once. I think that's when she throws the knives, but then she says, shame on you. Just the way she says shame on you is so funny. Yeah. So next week, we won't be watching any new episodes for the podcast. Instead, we'll be talking about season six as a whole. That's right. We'll be counting down our favorite season six moments, maybe point out some of our least favorite moments, and we'll reveal our favorite episodes of the season. We'll also reveal which show we voted for the most and which show we thought had a better season six overall. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Do you think Lorelai cheated on Luke? What exactly was the Coven's plan? Like Giles's plan? Like we have an idea of what it was, but like what were your takes on it? How was it different than what we said, do you think? How do you think they could have shown this more instead of just had Giles tell us? 
Do you think that Emily, on some level, was hoping Christopher and Lorelai would get together? How come Anya has emotions now? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer. We post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an EY. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacy, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live streamed watch parties at Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to all of our new Patreon subscribers, Meredith Frey, Sarah Smith, Devin Sizer, and Karen Smith. Wow, the whole Smith family. Thank you, Smith. And other two. <laughs> For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. I got your back, Brian. And then I got your back. Now let's sleep together. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've got to go to the bathroom. What? Do you actually? Or is that a reference? It's code, baby. Bathroom sex. All right. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, guys. I don't know why I say tuning in. It's not the radio. Thanks for downloading this podcast and listening to it. Yeah, or streaming it or... Whatever you did to get these words into your brain. Bye.